Lizzie. And I'm Brenda. And welcome back to Small Step Society. This is episode 9, a discussion on diversity, part 2. Before we begin this episode, we'd like to acknowledge the fact that there are many experiences that people witness and go through themselves. Our panel today is such a small subset of the larger, more diverse communities that make up the human population. That being said, this episode isn't meant to be a source of general or objective information regarding everyone's or anyone's experiences with diversity. This panel is a tiny look into different perspectives from a variety of people that have come together as a community. We hope to foster a conversation with openness and maybe even put words to some of your experiences. Keeping that in mind, please listen with an open mind and an open heart. On to the episode. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> um, this episode is a continuation of last week's episode. So there may be some overlap or experiences that we covered in one episode that won't be covered in the other. But this week, we are welcoming back Daniel and welcoming Nathan to the Small Step Society. Yay! <laughs> of course, before we get into our discussion, let's do our weekly segment, Song of the Moment. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm still Daniel. Still myself. Uh, I am a senior here at Michigan. I'm a double major in French and political science with a minor in art history. Uh, and my song of the moment, um, because I conveniently just forgot, is uh, <laughs> This Must Be the Place by the Talking Heads. Ooh. Oh, never heard it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> we'll play it on our way back home. True. Okay, Nathan. Hi, I'm Nathan. I am a sophomore at the University of Michigan, and I am doing a dual degree between business and math, and my song of the moment is Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Nice. Good song. Um, my song of the moment this week is very on brand. It's from another musical called Guys mm -hmm. and Dolls, um, and it's called Adelaide's Lament, and we just went and watched it, and it was very good. It was so but good. Yeah. yeah. What's your song of the moment? <laughs> my song of the moment is Read My Mind by The Killer. Thanks, I agree. Alrighty, so just to refresh our listeners' minds, should we go around and say like what we define our race and ethnicity as, or what we identify with? Yeah, go ahead, Brenda. I'm Indian American, born and raised in Texas, grew up there my entire life, that's what raised in Texas means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, second generation. My parents immigrated here from India, that was my point. Yes, I'm Korean American. I'm 1.5 gen. So my parents did. One of my parents moved when he, um, they were younger. And then I grew. I was born in Korea. Grew up there for a while, and then I moved in middle school. And now I'm here. <laughs> I'm a Jewish American still. Uh, my family came a few generations ago. I'm born and raised in San Francisco, California. Love the Bay. Uh, and yeah. Nathan. I um, I identify as a lot of things. But mainly, I, I just I was born in China, so I was born in China. Um, I was raised in Holland, and then I was raised in Germany, and now here I am. So I don't really have a cultural identity per se. Mm -hmm. And how long were you in Germany? Nine years in Germany and one year in Holland. Wow. Yeah. So I guess for some background, um, Nathan, you and I were just having a really interesting conversation about culture the other day about having to constantly worry about fitting in and changing your display of culture. And I thought like the points that we were making just in our conversation were really interesting. So I think I just want to like dive into that 
because yep, sounds I was good. like, that'd be great to have you on the podcast. So what was this conversation about? <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it basically stemmed from us explaining to someone who like has a very American ancestry, like grew up in America, like many of his past generations were white American, you know, just typical, not typical, <laughs> like just white American. Um, and we were talking to him about how, like, even when you're not, um, like, even when someone's not displaying racism towards you directly, like, um, yeah, like, even if they're not, like, saying racist things to you directly or they're not, like, I don't know, being racist towards you or even, like, doing that in micro in the form of microaggressions, you still feel that, uh, like, sense of not belonging and you feel that way um, in the sense that you have to, like, I guess change the way that you're acting and you're very mindful of the way you're acting. It's mm-hmm. kind of like code switching that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. But it's, I guess we were talking more about how, like, no matter what, even if someone were to say, I am not racist, I am, like, I I come with peace, I fully respect you, like, I feel like, at least for me, I would still feel that sense of, like, I don't belong here fully, like, I need Mm. to be very mindful of what I'm doing. Yeah, just to um, add on to that a little bit, so we have another unnamed friend, he is um, the white American we're talking about, I think he is fifth or sixth generation third mm-hmm. michigan natives and um he grew up in michigan his whole life and it's really hard to explain to someone um who's grown up in a single place in a small town his whole life about like the cultural sacrifices you have to make to your identity in order to um not fit in i would say i would say the more appropriate word here is to assimilate into a culture so to um to let others know that you belong in the community. That's mm-hmm. not fitting in, that's becoming part of the community. So explaining that to him was practically impossible because <laughs> once again, you can't really understand it if you haven't experienced it. And yeah, it, it comes with a lot of sacrifices. It comes with a lot of um, giving up. You have to give mm-hmm. up some of your identity to mm-hmm. for that to happen. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. And the part of your perspective that I found really interesting was when you were talking about how like you used to feel that way but now because you've had so many experiences i guess like like migrate or not migrate we all like migrating somewhere like immigrating or like becoming part of all these different cultures it's almost like it's just normal to you and you don't really care about that part of it anymore like you're not affected the way i was yeah it's more about like drawing a clear line and having like clear boundaries on what you're willing to give up and what you're like not willing to give up so um I haven't taken a single Mandarin lesson. So, like, I was born Mandarin. My family's very Chinese. I haven't taken a single Chinese lesson since, I think, the fifth grade. But I am native in Chinese in both speaking, listening, and writing and reading. Um, That's part of my cultural identity that I'm not willing to give up. And I don't see, like, any circumstances or situations that will arise that will require me to give this part of my culture up. So, other than that, I think practically everything else that defines me is free game it's not like (laughs) i'm willing to like i'll say i wouldn't say sacrifice but like i'm willing to put other pieces of identity or culture onto like myself as like an individual to like Mm -hmm. become who i am so yeah just have to draw clear boundaries i guess that's interesting thanks (laughs) (laughs) i guess so i guess for all of us um do you feel that way no matter like what culture or like what cultural community you're, I guess, like uh, what's it called? Interacting with. 
because I know like right now we're talking specifically to like white Americans, but I mean like we're not the same race. So like, do we feel that way? I guess is my question. Mm. Or you know, here also. This was something I wrote in my Common App essay, so like I'm just gonna take it out of there. But I think it's it illustrates a point here. So it goes something like, um, it goes something like standing outside of the Chinese subway station from like the hometown where I grew up. I see like everyone looking exactly identical to me, but then they are not me, and I feel like not right at home. I feel like I'm in like a different place in a different world because I haven't. Like I haven't been grown up in that place in so long,、mm-hmm. and then standing outside of like the Frankfurt subway station, I see like a bunch of、um, white Germans. I'm saying like Turkish people. I'm saying like、mm-hmm. Middle Eastern people. I feel way more at home in like that environment,、mm-hmm. even though I don't look like them. So like I guess the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that、um, code switching does exist, and like I would have to switch up my stuff or like my demeanor and how I act around people sometimes. But、um, I think this this notion of creating a code in the first place is something. It's like a defense mechanism created by like multicultural individuals.、Mm-hmm. So、um, how I found out that this was like a fluke or a defense mechanism, it's not real. I don't think it's real because I think、um, once you get comfortable enough, or once you get international enough, you can start. I wouldn't say breaking that code down, but you can start mixing the code up. So、um, one example of this would be American football. I did not know anything about American football before I think last year, before twenty twenty two. Now I'm a diehard Lions fan. I'm a diehard Michigan fan. Like <laughs> screw the sign stealing allegations. And,、uh, <laughs> they're not real, man. They're not real. We're not gonna. I, I'm gonna be so mad if we get a postseason ban. But anyways, the point is. Um, this was something new to me. I accepted it as a part of my culture. I rarely talk about American football. I rarely talk about how JJ McCarthy could be a Heisman candidate in front of my very Chinese parents. But then I tried one time during I think it was last year during Thanksgiving. I was like, the game is on. They're like, what's the game? Ohio、mm-hmm. State versus Michigan. I explained the rules to them, which is not too hard, the basics, and they they accepted it. They looked at the game. They watched the game. And my mom called me. My mom was like, "JJ just threw a dime. It was like forty <laughs> yards. It was a touchdown." I don't、and、even know like, what that yeah, is. Yeah, that's that's breaking down the culture barrier.、Uh-huh. That's that's switching up the code. So, it's a defense mechanism. Um, in my heart, I always thought like my parents would not be being like growing up in communist China their entire lives. Um, their sport was ping pong. It's it's not stereotypical. My dad they love ping pong. It's、mm-hmm. like table tennis, ping pong, badminton. It's definitely not American football, but then they're they're pretty supportive of Michigan football now. After、mm-hmm. I've introduced the game to them, so sometimes it's your misconception of what like what people like and what people don't like. You become too defensive because、mm-hmm. you care about your own self-image too much. So that's just. But then something that brings up the question: How do you know when to care and when you shouldn't care? So see, I stopped caring like <laughs> about. A couple of years ago, because I I no longer care like,、um, in this regard, what people think about me, like cultural wise, like who I am, what I identify as. Because once again, freshman year of college, the most common icebreaker was, "Where are you from?" And then I'd say, when I get bored, I'd say German, and then I pull out my state ID. <laughs> when I'm not bored, I said Chinese, and then like I say everything in between. So it's um. It's definitely like 
I stopped caring a long time ago. And I like like to answer your question, it would be something like, um, I don't think that I would care at all. Like, if if I I sorry, let me let me restate this. I don't think I would care if um. Or I don't think I would worry about like breaking down the cultural barrier and like when to do that. I do that all the time now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a better statement. Okay. Just to get my thoughts together. Were you gonna say something, Daniel? Oh no, I just think to what Brenda's question was earlier, I think it's also fascinating because that cultural barrier is like a lot of it is on you, but I think some of it is also the people you're around and how much they put it or see it on you. Mm-hmm. So it's like going to New York City as a Jewish person a lot of my friends would be like, oh, you must feel so much more comfortable <laughs> here. And it's like, well, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because there's some stereotypical looking Jewish people mm-hmm. um, which are who are way more Jewish than I am. So that's a moment where it's like, for myself, I wouldn't think of it until somebody reinforces yeah. it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you when that gets brought up, you it's uncomfortable and it's weird. But at the same time, I mean, can't control other people how do you respond to it i personally i don't have a great response mechanism (laughs) to it and it's something i'm working on which is that i'm like uh i always say they're way more jewish than i am like my (laughs) bubby would wish i'd eat kosher and like make a joke out of it yeah um and that's like my self-defense mechanism it's Mm -hmm. kind of playing it off and deflecting it um because it's it's awkward it's awkward to for somebody to point at a group and be like oh they look like that's what you're really like right yeah and it's like no you just really don't understand what mm. any of that is yeah so it's it's awkward um but it's at the same time it's like it they think it's more of a positive way if it's mm-hmm. like oh no like i understand you i see you i'm glad you finally get to experience your culture yeah like and it's like y- you can finally be amongst a majority and it's yeah like, well <laughs> not really. It's not like I'm pointing every single other white person out. I'm like, you must feel at home here. Yeah. People see a group of Orthodox Jews, and you're like, you must feel more comfortable with them. Per- for me personally, I've never like yeah. really done anything in Orthodox Judaism. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really. I'm a Reformed Jew, mm-hmm. so it's like I don't know. Like the I- the idea is that because they're some identity that's closer to yours than theirs. Like, you must feel comfortable with them. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what Nathan was saying, um, which was really interesting about, like, the whole German example, like, being in the German, like, metro and being able to, like, identify more. Um, but people, like, put different, I don't know, put different spins on things and put external, like, they immediately assume. Um, and they, they, from that assumption, they make up characteristics, and that's where the stereotypes come in, too. That's also really just funny that people do that because, like, you would think – you've said that y- your family – there's been multiple generations in the U.S. Yeah. So you'd think, like, by now people would understand, like, hey, you're not – like, you're not just Jewish. You're yeah. American, maybe more so American. Well, and I think it's, like, it's funny because it's, like it, – again, this is where, like, Judaism's kind of odd. Uh, or not Judaism – but like <laughs> being a Jewish American and especially being an Ashkenazi white Jewish American because you can pass. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's so many more Jewish people than you would see normally. But the minute you see that one Orthodox Jewish person, that's what everybody thinks. Yeah. And then they just, just they just think that's like, oh, when you go home, you must change into those clothes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's it's dumb. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. Well, it brings up the point of, you know how 
last time we kind of talked about how like we we mask that part of the culture until we like feel comfortable enough to like share that and okay we talked about last time we also talked about how like we shouldn't feel responsible to like share that culture yeah but it's kind of the thing where like do you feel bad that you are hiding it because you're like giving into that thing where you're like people will only see orthodox jews as being jewish and then like you're you're seen as even less jewish until like that's brought up i actually i feel that way all the time Mm -hmm. um well because it's like i feel like at least how i grew up i've been told like you should be proud of who you are Mm -hmm. and like you should show who you are and like by showing who you are you kind of make yourself more visible and other people like you visible to the world Mm -hmm. but at the same time like that's really scary. Visibility brings a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm going to this event later tonight for other Jewish students, and like when I would tell other Jewish students, they'd be like, "Is it going to be safe?" Mm-hmm. Because it it's it's weird, you know. It's like you don't by so being so visible about it, you also put yourself up to being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like. There are times where I'm like, I'd rather just, you know, put it down, like not think about it, be able to pass. There's other times where I'm just like, you know what? It would be really nice to be Jewish in this moment. And I'm going to take that. It's almost like how utilitarian do you want to get? Like, do you want to benefit the entire Jewish population? Like show everyone that like being Jewish is great. Like it's not just like that Orthodox Jew image or like, do you want to protect yourself and like make sure that your people aren't going to like attack you? But then again, here we are, all on the podcast. But I think that's where the code switching comes from, is, like, that's the defense mechanism, like Nathan had mentioned. Like, that's where you're like, oh, like, this is the moment where I'm like, oh, this is not going to be visible. And then that's where code switching happens. Well, so are you saying the default is hiding it, or are you saying the default is not hiding it? Like, which one are you more likely to do? Me? No, just, like, you, the general you. Because you're saying that, like... I think it's different per person. Okay. Because... my instinct is to hide it Mm -hmm. but i don't know if that's true for anyone else i think it also just really changes like like who you are and who you like how you identify i mean being white a white straight man like it's easier to be able to just like put it to the side Mm -hmm. and like hide it away and then bring it back but at the same time like for different identities it's Mm -hmm. it's harder and Mm -hmm. like masking comes in different forms different features for me it it, like I hate to say it, but it, like I could just not talk about it. Yeah. And but that's not a privilege. It's not even a privilege, but it's it's an ability that is that changes between yeah. identities. I mean, for me, like I can't hide it. Mm-hmm. Like you can look at me and know I'm not white. Crazy. <laughs> but like even so, I mean, it brings us back to like the whole concept of like people calling elders whitewashed. Like. Even if you can't hide, like, the color of your skin, you can also hide, like, you know, maybe people think I'm a second-generation Indian American. They won't know. Like, mm. it, it's it's all relative. But that did – I was thinking about this the other day. And so there was this girl in high school that I knew, and she, I think, was, like, a third or fourth-generation Indian American. And, like, the differences there were so drastic. Just, like, I'm a second-generation, she's, like, a fourth. It was crazy, like, how much more of, like, quote-unquote American culture she had picked up. And it almost felt like made me feel like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be acting if I want to feel like I fit in. Like, that's what an American is supposed to act mm-hmm. like if they're an American. I'm not doing it right. I need to act more like, quote unquote, American. Like, I need to. And like, it was funny because she spoke the language. Like, she speaks Indian language. I don't. I don't speak any Indian languages. But yet, like, I felt like she was more American. And it was just like, why do I feel that way? And like, 
why do I feel that I need to act like her? Why can't I be my own version of Indian American? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. When I think it's also interesting, like uh, how it changes between like what do you define as American? Like what does that look to you? Mm-hmm. What is and like wh- how do you go about? I guess whitewashing yourself. Yeah. And it's like by looking at other people within your community and like how they do it, it it can be a guide, but it can also feel more restrictive. That mm-hmm. it's like this is somebody that's already like somebody's already done this. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. My parents had the opportunity to immigrate to the states when I was in fifth grade, so that was an EB five immigrant. It was just you pay money, you can come. They ended up not doing it because not because of financial reasons, but because of I'm not going to say names or anything, but I, I don't know anyone that fits what I'm about to say or, like, describe. Mm-hmm. But there are, like, non-Caucasian Americans out there that are second, third, or fourth. It's not first-generation non-Caucasian Americans who um, self-identifies as just an American, however you want to describe the term American, but they do not identify with whatever their ethnicity is so mm-hmm. like let's just say an asian american but third generation let's just say his parents moved his grandparents moved to the states in the 50s um he feels lost because i know many asian many of my asian american friends feel that way mm-hmm. because you're given two options mainly you're you either fit in with other asian americans so it's like this group of i wouldn't want to say survivors but they're like they're lost. So like mm. a group of like, not victims. I'm not. It's <laughs> victims, not a good word. But probably survivors. I would say like a group of fellow survivors, fellow individuals who also feel lost. So like this is other second generation Asian Americans, or you fit in, or you just suck it up, mm-hmm. and then you try to assimilate into the white community, the Caucasian, the mainstream community. But then this brings another point into the conversation, which is. What is a Caucasian American, if we really think about it? So, um, wait, real quick. Are you talking about Caucasian, like meaning like the actual ethnic term or ethnic like? Ethnic term. Caucasian. Okay, okay, okay. So let's define the term Caucasian American or my understanding of the term Caucasian American. Mm-hmm. So, one of my friends, he is half Jewish, but he is also half, I don't know where, but he says Polish. So, let's just say he's half Polish and half Jewish. Um, he acts he acts stereotypical. He acts as a stereotypical whatever you want to define as the Midwestern um white teenager. However you wanna likes football, it's in free fantasy league, plays <laughs> baseball. Um you get the point. But nobody's questioning whether this individual is celebrating Passover or oh he does, but celebrating Passover, celebrating Jewish ideals. Nobody goes up to him and asks inappropriate questions like, hey, mm-hmm. are you circumcised? Nobody does that. The point I'm trying to get across here is just because he is ethnically Caucasian, nobody will ask him these type of question that makes him feel potentially uncomfortable. Now, this varies by individual. So like like Rinda said, um, she feels like pressured when other people ask her about her, her race and identity. So like when people go, I don't know about like the Indian holidays or do you speak the language or which part of India are you from? So she would feel pressured. It's just, it varies by individual. I don't feel pressured, but that's not, so like that's not a good reason to say that it doesn't matter for um, non-Caucasian Americans. Well, I'm not American, but 
I wouldn't feel pressured, but I know that most people that aren't white per se, like non-Caucasian Americans around me, would feel would feel pressured if they were asked like mm-hmm. certain if their identity would be put under scrutiny. So like mm-hmm. uh, looked upon, because the sad reality is they don't have any culture, they don't have any identity, they don't know who they are. In reality, I don't know who I am as an individual. If you ask me who I am, okay, I was born in Beijing. But am I really from Beijing? No, I don't know what the trendiest mm-hmm. Beijing stuff is. Am I German? Probably not. Why? I don't look German. I'm not blonde. I don't have blue mm-hmm. eyes. Moreover, I don't really speak the language there. I don't like their food at all. Their food really <laughs> sucks. <laughs> am I American? Well, I do speak the language. Uh-huh. I could lie and say that I'm Asian American, but I'm not. I don't really hang out, or I don't really fit into the Asian American society. Mm-hmm. So what am I? Am I an outcast? Am I an alien? Well, over the years, I think I've become more and more comfortable with, like, my identity of non-belonging as like mm. who I am. I have a question for you, Nathan. Do you think the status of not belonging is itself belong? Like, you, like you have a group of other people who, uh, uh, albeit a much smaller group. Yeah, I I completely understand what you're saying. Um, yes. Um. I don't identify with those people for just personal reasons. Mm. There's nothing wrong with like um, being in that certain um, community or society or that certain group. I just, so my solution was I sucked it up, mm-hmm. which I don't, I guess it hurt at first. It's like um, sacrificing part of your identity to like just fit in or assimilate it into the ideal not ideal that's a really wrong word the caucasian community the quote-unquote ideal like it's ideal for like what society thinks at Mm -hmm. this given moment um like the song of the moment i've grown comfortably numb so like i don't feel as um it doesn't hurt anymore it's numb it's it hurt at first not anymore i live with seven other white guys i don't feel that i don't fit in i feel just like one of them um, I understand their culture, their jokes, whatever. But um, at the end of the day, there's always like this small voice inside of me that says, you're not white. Um, mm-hmm. You can't throw a football 50 yards. You, you, you haven't grown up watching football. Um, you've never put a dock in before because we're in Michigan, so the Midwest. You've never done any of those things that like, other Caucasian Americans in the Midwest have done, so you're not really one of them. Mm-hmm. But I chose to suck it up, so yeah, that's just. I know, and it's it's interesting because, well, I'd consider us friends. <laughs> we spend time together. Sounds but, good. <laughs> but sure. Like in my time knowing you, like I feel like, to me, you're more quote unquote American than I am in a lot of ways because I feel like you're just more able to just like get it like you just get being well, it's, American it's and not about getting it it's more about like adapting or like by the term adapt isn't good so I don't know how familiar you guys are with the uh, the story of Theseus's ship so like if a ship um, if you modify a thing over and over again so let's just say you take the flag off of the ship and put another flag on it is mm-hmm. that still the same ship sure it's the same ship with a different flag you take the, I don't know, you paint the ship a different color, another modification. Sure, it's a ship with a different flag and a different color. But over time, as you just keep modifying and keep adapting the ship, it becomes a completely different ship. 
and that describes mm -hmm. me. I made so many of these adjustments. So like I learned how to speak German. I um I really got into football. So I really got into soccer, as you Amer soccer, as you Americans <laughs> like to call it. I I'm a diehard Dortmund and Eintracht fan. Um, when I came here, I really got into football. Mm -hmm. uh, I really got into rock music. So those are all very stereotypical, the all-American ideal of like what American is. But um, at the end of the day, I wouldn't say like I get more of those things. It's just I adapt to more of those things, and I um. I know how to act and behave mm -hmm. in a certain way mm -hmm. that gives off the perception to Caucasian Americans that, whoa, this guy knows what he's doing. Do I really know what I'm doing? Probably not. So, yeah. Doesn't Caucasian encompass like Hispanic American? Yeah, it, it, it does. It's a wrong word. White. White's probably the okay. more Caucasian's the ethnic group. Okay, White's yeah, the yeah. skin that's, color. That's why I asked that before. But yeah, to that point, well, that's what I was saying. Like, I guess not get it, but like, I, like it's weird because I feel like I admire your ability to adapt to situations and like just be able to like adapt to all these cultural situations and like, like seem like you really like fit in. I don't know. I know you're gonna get, get annoyed with my use of the word fit in, but like, you know what I mean? Like, and then I feel weird about that. <laughs> well, it's like how much time. So, um, one downside of that is I have no integrity. And by integrity, I mean, so like, I'm willing to, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say waste, but I did waste a lot of time last year, first semester, just learning the in and outs of football. I didn't know what a cornerback was. I didn't know what the secondary was. I didn't know how football worked. Fourth and 17, what the hell does that mean? Why are we just not happy about fourth and 17? Those are two numbers <laughs> with a conjunction, a conjunctive <laughs> in the middle. Oh I knew nothing about that. At first, I didn't find it to be interesting. I had to force myself to like look over like what football is. I have to force myself to remember every single player on the Michigan roster right now. This I is, don't remember all of them. But this like, is crazy to me because I didn't even know this. I know, I have to force myself. It's like force feeding. I didn't like it at first, but then in the end I ended up liking it, which is do you? lucky for me. Yes, I do enjoy Like it. actually? I do actually okay. enjoy football now. But then I can give you another case where I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That was soccer. <laughs> I still hate soccer. I don't what? know why people obsess over kicking the ball for 90 minutes straight. That's really no media timeouts mm -hmm. and there's no downs. What the hell is that? Why would you want media timeouts? I don't know. So so the players get the rest. <laughs> but the point is, I forced myself to like learn every single team name in um in the German football league. In mm -hmm. um so like that was not a fun time cuz München Gladbach to a 8th grader it's not the most <laughs> it's not the nicest name to pronounce all the way before i came to the states as an international student i had to act in a way that like pertained to the behavior and demeanor of um the german community the white german community about like how much they loved soccer and i had to go like yeah soccer <laughs> oh yeah and it's it's not a fun time so it's not always fun but then again, I don't have integrity because I value social acceptance way more than my own enjoyment as an individual. Mm -hmm. So that's just who I am. I've come to terms with it. There's, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong with pleasing others, being a people pleaser, or being an um, individual with value. So like you probably 
Rinda, you probably have way more value than I do or like uh, self-integrity, I guess, from my point of view. Me, personally, I don't care about my personal enjoyment. As long as I gain some form of social acceptance, that's enough for me. Okay. Like, being 1.5 gen, I don't know what to say when they're like, where are you from? Right? Because high school and junior high, I'm from West Michigan. But, like, middle school, like, I learned Korean first. And if you told me, like, in fifth grade, you're like, where are you from? Then I'd say, oh, Korea. Right? But at some point, I, like, switch to saying like West Michigan Mm -hmm. but this year I feel like I don't know when I say that like it's true but also like I'm leaving a part of me behind and not like I'm like omitting something about myself right Mm -hmm. so this year when I had to introduce myself or something I was like oh I'm from Seoul and West Michigan Mm -hmm. because like it's true you know what Mm -hmm. I mean but also I think it started because there's the whole thing where like when someone asks where are you from it's racist mm-hmm. right that's like that's the idea like especially if you aren't white american so i won like i wonder just about myself like that's when i was like oh when they say it they mean it in a mean way and like i should not re- like reply in a way they want to hear it you know what mm-hmm. i mean but i don't really know i don't really no that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah that um very relatable yeah mm-hmm. and then another thing is that like i used to love this band in like k-pop right um until middle school i like went to their concert and like i really did adore them but um i feel like at some point k-pop was like frowned upon for a little bit and then i just kind of mm-hmm. like retracted and that's when i started listening to pop that's when i started listening to ed sheeran taylor swift and look at me i only listen to them now yeah isn't that that is crazy. so wild yeah makes me a little sad no like it's i re- sorry go ahead i remember when you told me about that yeah i was like like that was just so mind-blowing to me because like i didn't even consider the fact that you like listen to korean music mm-hmm. just because like it's sure. just not a part of what you do anymore yeah but it's almost like but I get that because it's, like, the same thing. Like, I have never watched a Bollywood movie in my life. And, like, it's it's one of those things that I'm, like, kind of proud of. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, it's almost just, like, well, first of all, it's a fun fact, I guess. I don't really know. But, like, more than that, I, like, feel like I'm not just, like, giving in to, like, what an Indian person should be like. Like, what the typical Indian does. Like, they like they watch Bollywood mu- movies. They listen to Bollywood music or, like, Indian music. But then at the end of the day, it's, like, that is still part of my culture and, like, I can precisely tell you that it's very relatable when you have a feeling of pride when you say you didn't haven't watched a single Bollywood movie. So in case it's not obvious to you all, the state of the world right now or has been for the past 200 years or 400 years even is Caucasians dominate the world. First world countries are defined as the West. Wait, Nathan, white or Caucasian? White. Because she's Caucasian. White. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I am. White Caucasian. is what she's I, mean. I, don't I use that. these words. My apologies. White. For have like you been the past 400 so like. Have you, every time you've said Caucasian, have you meant white? Um, when you no, said for the ethnically first, first Caucasian. Ethnically Caucasian, I mean, ethnic, I mean ethnically European. So from the Cork, like Cork from Cork Cork Yes. Okay. That's what I meant. That was Caucasian. But this this time I mean white. Because, <laughs> okay. Um, so this leaves an ingrained sense. This more or less for. This, this is a fact that I'm speaking, or 
self-perceived fact source trust me bro but <laughs> this is something like i think is applicable to all non-white individuals it's that everyone born in this current reality that's not white has this ingrained sense of inferiority whether you like it or mm -hmm. not whether you want to admit it or not like you can say that no i don't i love my culture but at the end of the day you know that for the past 400 or 500 years white people have been dominating the world and i it's not a good thing or a bad thing they have made a lot of contributions like 90 percent of the contributions made in stem in the arts in the music that, ha that that are known to people that are mm -hmm. known that are published that are widely known to people are from white people okay but like, two things with that except i don't remember the first one so the second one was that like yeah, but it's because they have so much power because they are white. That's why they're all widely published and they yeah, get all the so, fame. Yes. So we have a tendency, or at least I do, and I think that's more or less true for every non-white individual. We have a tendency to look up to white people, not because of their skin color, but mm -hmm. because of what they have accomplished for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Because of this, one phenomenon that I have discovered, it's an unfortunate <laughs> discovery, is that we act hostile to people that are our skin color, our ethnicity, our race, our nationality, more so than white people, than people mm -hmm. not our ethnicity. And this is true for me. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an ethically good person in a sense, because whenever I see an Asian transfer student that doesn't fit into the white community as well as I do, my first thought is I feel an immediate looming sense mm -hmm. of superiority over them because screw you. I speak the language better than you. You, you have a Chinese accent. You don't have a German green card. <laughs> You're, so that's, that's, this is like, no, and these are my first thoughts. Like that, that's just, it's horrible, but mm -hmm. that's, I'm admitting this is, this is ethically, ethnically wrong. I see my relatives who are like, um, the Chinese counterpart of like living in a small town, never been outside mm -hmm. of that town. Oh my goodness. My mm -hmm. first thought is, do I feel a sense of superiority? I've been to so many other places, so many more. I've seen so much more than you have. And I speak two, I speak one and a half more languages than you. And I'm just so much superior than you in any sense imagined. That's my first like thought. <laughs> it's a horrible thought, mm -hmm. but unfortunately it's true. But Wait. No, not not true. Like, <laughs> not not like true as in like it's like it's true that you do that. Yeah, true that I do that. Sorry, just to clarify. And um, what is true, however, about these thoughts is that I am more white than them. I know, like, I have more white ideals. I am more like what society thinks is ideal. Mm -hmm. So I have I exhibit more white characteristics. Yeah. They exhibit less white characteristics. And, well, when you're using that word, that's like really what gets me. Is like. Even though we, like, talk about how, oh, like, white people are seen as, like, the ideal American and, like, but we keep using those words interchangeably, you know what I mean? And it's like, but but I'm not trying to be white. I'm just trying to be American. And, like, what's yeah. the difference? Where does it end? What, what Like, how much of whiteness is embedded in being American? And, like, can you ever be truly American without, like, I guess, being, quote, unquote, whitewashed? So I think this is something that's worthwhile to talk about which is why we're on the podcast, obviously. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, this isn't something that talking on a podcast or even making a conscious effort to um, to change for the better will solve. This is simply something that takes time. You need time. So when the 
white Europeans first took over America, over like the Native Americans, they were probably seen as outsiders as well. It took them what? Since like the 18th century, it took them 200 years to cement their place as the dominant race or ethnicity in um, America. So like, it's definitely more, do, would you agree that it's more recent? That like Asians, Indians, like Southeast, whatever Asians, whatever Africans, whatever South Americans, whatever anyone that's not white. We have like we've been here far less than mm. what the white people have been. So it's something oh, yes. that takes time. So like this brings another point into the conversation, which which is if you can't do something about this. So obviously, so we're, we've been talking about like how. Um, it's been a white dominated world for like the past five centuries or something like that and it's not going to be something that is going to change for the better in my foreseeable future so maybe when I die maybe in a hundred years maybe in 80 years it will be for the better I will be long gone by then so what's the solution then what can what can you do about it Nothing. you either suck it up or you change your mindset about it so one thing that my parents have always drilled deep into my like bones is that I have to work a lot harder mm -hmm. than my white counterparts. So when I was small, it's like, stop playing with your German friends. Get home and start doing homework. But mom, it's 4.30. We can play till 6.30. <laughs> okay, why? There's no becauses. There's no buts. It's because you have. Uh -huh. This was the response they gave me. The first time I heard it, it was I think it was in like second grade. I was shocked. It was... Your skin color is yellow. You have yellow skin. But this is the reality. This wasn't a very nice thing to break to a second grader, <laughs> but it's the harsh truth. They have white skin. I have yellow skin. I have to work a lot harder. Um, so you either suck it up or you change your mindset. So I've come to terms with myself and the world around me and the world that I live in that if I want to succeed in a white-dominated society, which, is, which I made a conscious choice, my parents made a conscious choice to send me to uh, the white dominant world. And I'm making a conscious choice right now to fit into the white community. So my brother, I did it by myself. <laughs> so I've come to the terms okay. that I either be in a system that's not fair and play by its rules, or I can just suck it up and leave. Those are the only two options in the foreseeable future. Okay, then let me ask you a question. Why are you spending your time today with us on the podcast talking about it? You invited me, first of all. Second of all, I just think it's something worth talking about. But it's why? Because I think it's something worth talking about. It's I don't I don't feel that it's un sure it's unfair. It's I don't, I feel angry about it at times. I feel that it's not fair that I have to work so much harder to, especially with the major that I'm in. So obviously, I'm not in a very typical mm -hmm. Asian American major business. Okay, math is but. <laughs> Once again, that's that's okay. That's that's something else. Like business, business isn't very Asian American. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Like very whitewashed Asian Americans, like frat boys, sorority girls. You see them in um in Ross all the time. Sorry, sorry to have offensive to anyone, but that's just what I've been observing. You rarely see Asian international students mm -hmm. in Ross, and that's a fact because I know for a fact because I've looked at their admissions files. You rarely see any Asian Ameri Asian international students because that's just not a major that people will pursue. Why? Because it's one of the most heavily discriminated of con industries in the world mm -hmm. where white people dominate. 
I've done an internship over this past summer by looking at the highest paid managing partners and the senior partners and the partners who will eventually become partners at major mm -hmm. business firms. Out of 455 people, 454 are white. Mm -hmm. The rest is Asian. And this is this is in America. Yeah. So this is this is just something that you have to suck it up. Mm -hmm. And well, this is sorry. No, no, no. Me, go, okay. Go. <laughs> My true passion, sure, it could be business. What I really wanted to do this whole time is law. I wanted to be a pre-law major. I can't because I've accepted, I've come to terms with the fact that it's near impossible for someone with yellow skin to just climb the corporate ladder in the law industry because mm -hmm. that's just how it's looked upon. Look at Kirkland and Ellis. Look at Latham and Watkins. Look at Fager Drinker. Look at all the top 100 law firms. Tell me how many Asian partners, just junior partners, how many there are. Mm -hmm. You'll see well, like associates, 60-year-old Asian-American associates working in the law industry as East Asians. You'll see that. That's a fact. That's because that's just how it is. So either what? You suck it up and you don't go into the industry or you're content with the fact that you go into the industry and you might be an associate for, I don't know, 50 mm -hmm. years of your life. While, I don't know, John, who just graduated from a P14 <laughs> law school, but he's white, he'll get promoted to a partner in three years. If you come to terms with that, then sure, you can pursue what you like. I haven't come to terms with that, so I, I have. it up. Yeah, well, that's what we were kind of talking about last time. And it brings, okay, well, first of all, what you were saying reminded me of like the whole concept of brain drain, where it's like, uh, like people from all these countries, like India, China, whatever. I mean, like most of the ones that are, I guess, stereotypically like going into like math or, or science or like medicine, whatever. Um, it's the concept of brain drain where like all those people, you only come to the U.S. if you're trying to pursue those things because the U.S. needs those minds. And um, like it's basically the brain drain refers to like the brain, like the intelligence being taken away from like China and India and all these like big Asian countries. And I guess, I think it usually refers to Asian countries. That's 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 it's a complicated topic. Yeah. In terms of China, at least it's a it's a political question. We're not going to get political <laughs> here, but it's a it's a communist thing. But anyways. Keep yeah, going. and I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like what I've been taught in the Western education system. So maybe I'm not even. It's, I'm probably misrepresenting. I, I agree it. with that. Yeah. Yeah, but my point is, because of that, like, even, even though like we might want to pursue something else, like we're not here for that, like. The U.S. like isn't like. This is really like, making this more sound more simpler than it is. But like the U.S. didn't take us or take our I guess in my case like my parents in, to like do psychology or like do something that's maybe seen as like not as hard of a science or not like mathematics, or not computer science, yep. and because of that like no matter what like you feel like you still need to give into the stereotypes because that's why you're here. I think being Jewish. I mean, there's a lot of contexts where, like, e even in the United States, where it's like you feel, at just at least outside of the norm. I don't think, I think I used to feel inferior in the way that I just felt different, and then I always have to like feel like I'd explain that difference, or I'd get, re I wouldn't get certain references, or like I didn't have the, like, if we're talking about like the stereotypical Midwestern, slightly conservative white upbringing the going to church on Sundays you know um, and like that was just different and different values um, but at the same time I think it was never more of a I think kind of what Nathan was talking about and like how it, you make it your own like I 
growing up, I realized like that was a celebration mm-hmm. um, because I was like, I, I, I'm proud to be who I am indifferent to that. Mm-hmm. And that like, I'm not just your garden variety, like Christian dude, mm-hmm. you know, like I have a, something different about myself. But I think it really depends because at the same time, like I have the privilege where it, again, I can pass and like it doesn't really limit me. Um, and like there are some contexts where being Jewish is like not helpful. And like there's some contexts where like I don't talk about it. I just, in all honesty, I deleted it from one of my graduate school applications for like applying abroad because it's not something that like if I identify with that will be a positive. Mm. Um, so it, it depends. I mean, there's times where it's like, it'd be so nice to be like that. Just to be like, yeah, I'm going to go slam some beers and go to church, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I growing up, I realized like, I found myself in a community of others that not everybody has access to. Not in a like exclusionary way, but it's like, I get to interact with other Jewish Americans in a way being like, a lot more uh, like intimate, you know? Mm-hmm. I get to hang out and share connections that not necessarily everybody would have. And like, and that's something I feel like I can celebrate after quite a while. Yeah. On the topic of celebrations, <laughs> I don't really know if this relates <laughs> at all, but it does remind me of something that like, I don't know, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations about recently. Um, I guess as the Christmas season comes closer, like that is something that I don't know, has always been, like, a really weird, like, it's been a very, like, weighty issue in my mind. Mm. Um, Just, like, related to me. And I don't think a lot of, I don't know if a lot of Indian Americans feel this way. Maybe it's just, like, the way I grew up and, like, I don't know how I perceive what other people do. But I've always felt, like, a little weird about how, like, Christmas is imposed upon people. The way you made a facial expression, I feel like you understand what I'm talking about. Well, it's just, like, the amount of times I've been, and, like, to me... I don't know. I don't want to. I always get worried that I'll just be perceived as another Jewish person that just mm-hmm. complains about things um, because there's a lot of us. And uh, again, joking is a little stereotypical thing. But um, it's just like the like somebody will say Merry Christmas to you or mm-hmm. just like, well, what are you doing for Christmas? And it's like, well, I'm not doing anything. actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or and it's just like weird. And then people made it into like such a like, yeah. no, it's happy mm-hmm. holidays. And then it's like, I appreciate it, but at the same time, it feels a little like saviorism. Yeah. It's like, thank you. Yeah. Like, we don't need to have the red and green cups at Starbucks anymore. We're <laughs> beyond that. And it's like, mm, not really. And I think I talked about this last time. Like, when I was in Catholic school, like, I got, I was the one that had to, like, show everybody to mm-hmm. how to do, like, Hanukkah and, like, light the candles, say the prayers. I didn't really know the prayers. It's like, yeah. It, it, it's just like a weird position where in the holidays you can get away from it a little less. Yeah. And so I agree with everything you said, but like, so my experience has been, well, first of all, I feel like I don't hear a lot of any Americans say that. Like, I know you just said, like, I don't want to be like the Jewish person that complains a lot. But like, for me, it's like, I feel like I've never heard any other Indian people talk about. Like, I always feel like I've been seeing Indian people like just embrace Christmas. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm. And I think it's partially just because of the way I grew up, like where I was raised to like be very not okay. It's going to sound bad. Not like anti-Christian, but like to like make sure that I stay strong to like my Indian culture ideals. And I guess part of that is rejecting 
like these more like religiously embedded American traditions and one of them being Christmas like that's the big one and so <laughs> this I, might sorry go ahead I wanted to might, ask you a question after okay sorry this might get a little into like how our Christmas went last year so I don't know if these might be new revelations to you but <laughs> I'm ready okay last year like I wasn't planning on celebrating Christmas like that's just not something I've done and like especially back home I think I talked about a little like a lot of my friends back home like we don't really celebrate Christmas like it's not part of our culture so I didn't really have to deal with this but then coming here like you know there's a lot of white Americans here especially compared to where I grew up there and are. sorry there are <laughs> um and because of that like Christmas is just a huge thing and so it was almost like a given that like we would celebrate Christmas and it would be a huge thing and we'd like do all the gifts and everything which I didn't so like I wasn't prepared for Christmas did not buy any gifts because I was like I don't need to like that's not part of my like I that's not part of my culture it doesn't come natural to me I'm not gonna do it and then I remember like the day of like our friend group they were like oh we're exchanging Christmas gifts and I was like I don't have any gifts like I don't have anything and so I like I went to Target I got the gifts and I I was like oh my gosh I like really have to think about this like it's a huge deal and so like I wrote a card to everyone and then I come back and it was just like a merely just like a gift exchange like we just give each other gifts and that was it and i was like huh (laughs) like i didn't know anything about christmas traditions but moreover like i felt almost like wronged like i was like well first of all why do i have to do this like holiday i didn't want to participate in and like why am i having to give gifts to people and like also i feel so embarrassed because like i didn't do it properly and it was like this thing where i was like i tried so hard to fit in like i did the christmas gifts i did everything and i still feel like i don't belong and i don't i don't i don't understand christmas i just don't get it and then but then, like, this year, I remember telling you, like, I was like, Lizzie, like, I have to admit something. I really do enjoy the Christmas season. But it was like, I felt wrong saying that, too, because I was like, I shouldn't. I spent my whole life saying I don't enjoy Christmas. Why? What is happening now? I didn't. May I, like, really don't remember how I, like, phrased things or whatever. But I knew you didn't celebrate Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're like, I don't celebrate Christmas. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is a huge thing for me. Like, I love Christmas. Yeah. Um and, like, I apologize if you felt oh, like, no, no, no. like you had to do gift exchanges. But in my mind, I was like, oh, like, Brenda doesn't have to give us gifts. Like, I just wanted to give you a gift because we give gifts to, like, everyone. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, that's it. So that's the other thing. So there was this, like, family friend that we had, like, growing up. She was white. And Christmas was a huge part of mm-hmm. her culture. And so every year for Christmas, like, she was very accepting of Indian culture. Like, she, like, had gone to temples. Like, she enjoyed... um like Indian food, all of that. And uh, she enjoyed all of that. But like at the end of the day, like every single year we do a Christmas gift exchange and like, she'd be like, like you guys don't have to get me gifts. Like I'll just do it. But it's also like, but you know, there's a, like you feel that sense of obligation where you're like, I have to participate in this. And like, yeah, do I want to be part of like, and it's almost like, well, how much do I have to like give into the FOMO and like just do the gift exchange and like deal with that. But then also like feel like, I don't really know what I'm doing and this is not really what I believe in. I think like this was less of a problem definitely 150 years ago because you would not see like people around you because globalization wasn't really a thing 150 (laughs) years ago. So now with like the increasing rates of like globalization, you just see people like these cultural dilemmas, they arise. So um, I just thought of something with like, um, in terms of like other cultures and the traditions and what whatnot of like other cultures like Christmas as what uh, Daniel Daniel said about um, 
them not celebrating Christmas as like a tradition. So it's like, I think we need to redefine what culture means, to be honest. So this is not just something out of my head. This was actually a Ross lesson I had the other day. <laughs> it was We talked about this for a while. Um, it's like people try and find methods and techniques to fit in or not fit in or compromise or whatever with other people's cultures. And in this context, culture just means traditions from a certain ethnic group, mm -hmm. nationality or race. But if we look into the broader scope of what culture means and like I wouldn't I would not say dismiss or disregard what like Christmas is to Christians or what Hanukkah is to Jewish people. But if we just put less emphasis on it when we interact with people of other cultural identities and um, engage or talk about cultures that have that are more accessible to people of like all identities, such as an example that I have is guitar. So like I am a member of the electric guitar. I, I would say that's a culture. So like to me, that's I define culture as just a set of traditional set of things that people do. And as long as you have a community that does this thing, then it's a culture. So mm -hmm. the guitar culture is a culture for me. So whenever, wherever I go, I can find a group of people. I go, do you play guitar? They go, yeah, I play guitar. They go, do you like Jimi Hendrix? Oh, hey, I like Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. And then we become friends and you don't have to talk about necessarily about like what this thing is so anyways i'm rambling on but my point that i'm trying to make here is that instead of trying to find ways to compromise negotiate or um fit in or not fit in or reject or accept instead of trying to find ways around like other people's culture maybe we can just place less emphasis on like culture as a topic so like some sort of i wouldn't say negligence but to place uh -huh. the focus when you interact with people from other identities, other 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 societies, into something that's more accessible to everyone, something that like everyone has access to, rather than um, focusing on something that's specific to a single culture. That's at least my understanding or like my thought. That was very insightful. That's yeah. I mean, <laughs> also, grown up, um, we celebrated Christmas. We weren't even Christian. Interesting. Starting from like two years old. When I was two, we started Is celebrating Christmas. Is Christmas a Christmas. big thing in China? Yeah. Okay. But it's like every other holiday. So like there are lots of things in China that are, I would say, big things. Mm -hmm. um, Halloween's a pretty big thing in China. So I don't know. That's not a Chinese thing. Yeah, I don't even think about that. Um, Christmas is a pretty big thing. So how people in China think about it or we're pretty homogenous so that really helps with like the cultural thing but we celebrate um stuff from other um countries or races or ethnicities so we we take halloweens as our own we take the christmas holidays as our own and then which is why it's really cool to stay in china in the winters because you mm -hmm. get two breaks you get a winter break for christmas and then you get a february winter break again for lunar new year oh, wow. which is pretty damn cool but um That's i wouldn't say sorry i wouldn't say more accepting of other cultures we're just we come to adapt or like mm -hmm. rather our government has decided okay we like christmas now so everybody <laughs> so like 1.4 billion people just suddenly started <laughs> celebrating christmas and now it's just a thing 
This is not a problem in China because 98% of Chinese mm -hmm. population are East Asian mm -hmm. by ethnicity. And you can't say that 98% of citizens in the United States yeah. of America are a single ethnic group. So that it, yeah. it clashes. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say before. I still don't really know if it relates to what you were saying. But like, <laughs> like even in America, like Christmas isn't a Christian thing. Like, No, it's it, not. It's it's like a, a lot of atheist people celebrate it. Like a lot of agnostic people celebrate it. A lot of non-Christian, some kind of religion people celebrate it. You know, I I meet Indian people all the time that celebrate it, and it's normal to them. And it's like, I don't know, I just can't fully accept that. This might come off as super offensive, but I mean this in the most non-offensive way possible. Um, I would say this is not once again not directed at you, but this is a way of coping that you no. don't have your own cultural identity. So you scrutinize everything mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. every other identity does, every other culture does. Oh my God, they're celebrating Christmas. No, but like- I don't feel comfortable because I was raised in an Indian environment. No, but the, the, you know what's crazy is that you say it's not directed at me, but I feel like it is. And I fully like appreciate that because like all my life, I feel like I've tried to explain to so many people that I just don't feel like I have culture. But, like, you're the first person that's actually just understood that. It's a way it's to crazy. negotiate that you don't. Like, it's a way to cope yeah. that, like, you don't have culture. So you have to scrutinize other people's culture, which makes you feel better about it. Yeah, and it's, like, I feel really conscious. Like, I have to make conscious decisions about it because I'm, like, I need to, like, be the perfect balance of what Indian culture and, like, what American culture is. And then, like, but then I'm, like, I only want to have the good parts. And I feel like you can't really do that because no matter what, there's still going to be like sacrifices. It's just because you, you don't have like a sense of like, I guess deep down I know that like, um, I know what the Chinese culture is because I've read a lot of great Chinese literature. I mm -hmm. listened to a lot of Chinese music. I've watched Chinese films before. Mm -hmm. Everything I've seen, I've ate, I've touched, I've smelled, I've listened to. Like my senses, everything <laughs> like everything that like i know has been at some point chinese so i don't feel the need to negotiate another with another culture as mm -hmm. to like why are they doing this or is this really something mm -hmm. that i want to force onto other people i don't care if you force yeah. christmas on me or well, even it's, it's the different thing because because you've lived in so many cultures and correct me if i'm wrong but because you've lived in so many cultures like you can almost layer them and then like just choose like which layer you're like putting on today and like which like oh yeah for sure i also celebrate santa class do you know what santa class is it's like pre-christmas it's it's a very northwestern europe thing i don't know but i feel like a lot germany of does it that. holland does it Liechtenstein does it it's just belgium it's small it's december the 5th santa class lovely but <laughs> <laughs> my point being like i feel like you can do that but because i've never actually like had either of them fully like it is like I just do I have to pick and choose and I don't know because well <laughs> not to direct it to you again but like because you're kind of like the intermediate between like Nathan and I like how our experience of like culture and all of that like do you still feel like you fully like at least regarding Korean culture like do you feel like you fully know it oh no no because I haven't gone back in so long like mm -hmm. like Nathan said I don't know what the trendiest thing is I yeah. like couldn't even tell you who the trendiest like mm -hmm. k-pop group or song mm -hmm. is um no and you had said like when you go back to china like you feel the sense of superiority because you're more white i actually feel like if i went back to korea right now i would feel so much more inferior because i am not fully like 
I don't feel as comfortable in Korean as my relatives do Mm -hmm. in Korean, right? And, like, where in Korea am I going to use my American culture if I'm visiting for three months? Korea is different. Because Korea is a democracy, it's it's it, this is a whole like this, okay. this, this drags on forever. <laughs> yeah, but. but no, that I feel the same way when I go back to India. Like, do I love like going back and like seeing all the culture? Yes, but oh my gosh, I feel so inferior because I don't know, and it's like it's even worse because I don't understand it at all. <laughs> so I don't really know where the cameras or our camera cut off because we had a little technical mishap, but. I probably included some kind of clip where we saw Daniel leaving because he had some somewhere to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have Nathan on the podcast. And so, <laughs> yeah, if, I mean, this is just if we had anything, if we want to continue the conversation and just have anything else, because I know Nathan's had some really good points throughout the episode and mm-hmm. it's been a great conversation thus far. So let's keep going. I think it's also the fact that um, over time, the more cultures you've been in, the more you realize that people are people. And I say this in a non-like utilitarian or a non-like pretentious way in the sense that like people are really just people at the end of the day. So are my white roommates really all that different from me at their core? Are their like identities really that different? Like do they not cry when they get hit by a car? (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that's that's a curveball, but you like get we're the all point. Humans, yes. Do they not cry when like their girlfriend breaks up with them? Part of the reason why my time here at Michigan has been so great because I picked the college randomly, just so you guys knew. It just colors look cool. I did it. I just picked the college. Part of the reason why I enjoy Michigan so much is because of how authentic these. I don't want to say small town people because that that gives off a negative connotation, but um, suburban Michigan natives. So, like, how authentic these people are. So, my roommates, they make um, what some might call inappropriate remarks about who I am all the time. But I know in the end that about uh, two people that I live with will probably take a bullet for me at the end of the day. I know that they really care about me at the end of the day. And it all boils down to the fact that ultimately we're all humans. And we all feel the same about friendship. We all feel the same about, like society in the end so this is something that is way harder said than done if you can realize which this is going to take time and i realize that not everyone has the current ability to do so it might be like i don't know but if you can realize that everyone's human we're the same species in the end Mm -hmm. then it becomes a lot easier to establish a bond with people to form like Mm-hmm. yeah that's just how i go about things at the end of the day yeah and that's the connection that we all have like mm-hmm. we all look different right we all come from di- very different backgrounds but we're all human and like yeah i mean at the end of the day like they're like we're all <laughs> i know you say this often but like we're all at the university of michigan like mm-hmm. we at the end of the day we're all college students we're all what? We all made it to the best university in the world. I was going to say that. <laughs> Go blue! <laughs> Go, Go blue! blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's exactly. It's like, no matter, it wouldn't matter if like, I know, I know like you guys probably, because everyone does this, when you go out of the exam room and debrief your exam mm-hmm. answers with this random person. It doesn't matter if it's a he or she or they or them. It doesn't matter if they're black, white, like Asian. It doesn't matter if they identify as, I don't know. 
They can identify as a vacuum cleaner for all <laughs> I care. But as long as they're a human being, you're going to, like, spill all your... You're going to go, dude, that exam was so freaking hard. I answered barely half of it. I know you guys <laughs> probably... Did. <laughs> I know. Like, that's that's a universal human thing. Yeah. When Michigan wins over Ohio State football in November, if we, I pray, fingers crossed. Knock on wood. I think it's my... Knock on wood. That we don't... No. Okay. But, like... You'll feel happy in a sense because we're all in the Michigan community. There's a culture, yeah. like the Wolverine culture. Like no matter what you are, you can just see someone on the street and you go like, we just beat Ohio State for the third year in a row. Mm-hmm. And they'll feel happy. That's bonding. And at the end of the day, I know that this bond that we establish with, like like through this method or this medium might not be as secure as like, I don't know, like, with someone that you really share the same culture with, but it's so it's a place to start, mm-hmm. and we need a place to start. Yeah, and so. especially when you feel like you don't have a culture, like a racial culture that you belong to, like at the end of the day, you still have that different culture, like that community that's yep. not like just based on. Yeah, color this is what I mean by like that guitar thing, which is pretty yeah. obscure and cryptic. But the point that I was trying to get across was precisely this. Yeah, like basic human emotions. So, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. My my grandparents were like small town Chinese individuals from like southern China. So Chinese southerners, they like migrated or immigrated to Beijing and then my parents immigrated to Germany and then Holland and Germany and then eventually the states were like we're trying right now. Um we made a conscious choice. It's a three generation it's a generational effort for me to assimilate into the white community. Now, you might say that is messed up in every sort of way possible, but to us, that's chasing the American dream. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel at the end of the day. That's my goal. So to answer, not answer your question or to sum it up from my perspective, it's that I have no sense of, I don't feel particularly comfortable or uncomfortable in any cultural group as of this point in my life. I know very well that at the end of the day, that like no matter what community or what culture I'm thrown into I will probably fit not fit I will probably assimilate into that culture one way or another Mm -hmm. and I will feel comfortable with it because that is life is there anything else that you'd like to say no not in this episode or any episode Hmm, you wanna be Uh, honest no no I think we should just keep like having like a like bridge I think we should just do a whole podcast about this, honestly. About racial discrimination. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was going to say. Because there are so many, like, things you can talk about. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't feel like my want or need to talk about all these topics will ever be satiated because, I don't know, there's just so much. And I feel like we don't talk about it in regular life. Like, I've learned so much about Nathan, and I spend quite a bit of time with him. I like having these conversations. It I keeps my mind alive. And I like hearing more about it. And I also feel like it helps me reframe my attitude because... I'm, I feel like my attitude's always like, ah, I don't belong. I need to belong. But it's nice to know that it's not like that clear cut and there's ways of like quote unquote belonging without giving yourself up or like feeling like you're always trying really hard to fit in. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like as we do these episodes, I really take the time to like think about it mm-hmm. and then I learn more about myself. Yeah. Like if you ask me, I don't know last semester about what we had talked about i don't know if i could have yeah. said anything yeah I mean, even now like i don't know <laughs> what i'm saying but 
Yeah. And I mean, it's always funny because I'll be like editing the pod, like episodes and like watching it back and thinking, oh, I just thought of like this whole nother thing that I could talk about. And it's so interesting. I want to talk about it. And I don't. I can't. But I mean, I guess I could in real life. But like, you, you know, could. the episode's a great, I guess, medium. Yeah. But don't take like, I'm like. Say it in the camera. In mic. I don't know. I don't know what we're using. I, I am a outlier in this conversation. I am literally built different in a oh wow bad way like oh, not not bad way. i'm just built different in like a way like compared to most um i don't say international i say like multicultural individuals like mm-hmm. you guys are both but like i'm clearly i'm built that di- i'm i'm clearly like different from you guys. no but i think that's great and because that's like you guys are way more like typical in terms of like what a multicultural individual should look like i am the atypical in fact i have yet to find anyone that um has a, has the same set of values and beliefs in regards mm-hmm. to this topic as me like i know well that's what i'm saying like i don't think it's it's fair to define it as that because i think i think what we've learned throughout this episode if anything is like race is also such a like or your experiences with being multicultural and like not being white and also just i know maybe being white but like having all these different like races and cultures you have to deal with is it's, it's all a spectrum and like all our experiences are, are completely different and like i don't think it's even fair to categorize like me as having a typical experience or lizzie having a typical experience because it's also i mean it's also like very dependent on like how our parents grew up and like their ideals and their and their ways of dealing with culture and their ways of assimilating and i also think it's great that we had like daniel who has had many generations in america and like me who's had like i'm a second generation american you like 1.5 nathan first like i think it just brings so many different perspectives to the conversation but it also brings like it brings us ourselves like a new way of thinking about race that is so special and so i think valuable to how we go about our lives from this point onward anyway thank you nathan for coming on yes thank you and of course thank you daniel thanks so for sad having that he me leave. yeah maybe maybe we'll see you another time i don't know we'll see maybe who knows who knows where life will take us but let me do my little promo you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts except where you can't you can also see our faces on youtube at small step society and find us on instagram at small step society pod follow us rate us give us five stars give us a like i feel like i never say that and give us feedback on what you think or the topics that we should talk about and i'd love to see like in comments like any any experiences that other people have had or like how they can relate and while this might be the end of the mini series i mean i'm sure at some point we'll want to talk about this again because there's always just so much so episodes every sunday and with that we will talk to you next sunday yes have a great small stepping week true bye bye One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.